And what you've asked me to do is not run against somebody else or run against another political party. You've asked me to join you in running for the future, running for right. this country. Our, our aspirations, our ambitions, the things we're going to do together. That's, that's what's exciting to me. I'm Evan Smith, the CEO of the Texas Tribune, and you're listening to Conversations with the Texas Tribune, a rebroadcast of the Tribune's extended sit-downs with the most interesting, influential, and iconic figures in politics and public policy. This week, the closing conversation from the 2018 Texas Tribune Festival. I talked at length with Congressman Beto O'Rourke, Democrat of El Paso, his party's nominee for U.S. Senate. Congressman O'Rourke will face the Republican incumbent, U.S. Senator Ted Cruz, in the November 6th general election. Whatever the outcome of that contest, Congressman O'Rourke's run has surely been the biggest and most surprising political story of the year in Texas, and one of the biggest and most surprising in the country. His campaign verges on being a phenomenon. The question in a state that's been so reliably Republican for so long is whether it's enough. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Congressman Beto O'Rourke, recorded live at the Long Center for the Performing Arts in Austin on September 28, 2018. Conversations with the Texas Tribune is presented by Walmart. As the state's largest private employer with nearly 170,000 Texas associates, Walmart was proud to sponsor the 2018 Texas Tribune Festival. At the heart of Walmart's culture is our commitment to serving the needs of our customers and the communities we call home. Learn more about our impact in Texas at corporate.walmart.com. And by the Texas Tech University System. The Texas Tech University System is a problem-solving institution that produces leaders who act on bold initiatives to improve lives. More at texastech.edu. Please join me in welcoming the keynote closer to the 2018 Texas Tribune Festival, Congressman Beto O'Rourke. Hey, that was very generous. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Thank Here you. we go. Good. Yeah, all right, thank you. Great. Thank you all. Good, Good to see everybody. Yo, Mike. Hiya. How you doing? I'm good. I'm doing all right. How Feeling about you? Feeling good? Uh, yeah. It's, Congratulations. Well, thanks. Yeah. Thanks. It's, it's nice to have so many people thinking about important stuff, right? Don't you think? Yeah. I, I said something about uh, why 38 days from an election. It's so unusual for us to be sitting here. Democrats haven't been competitive. whole bunch of reasons. I have a theory about why I, I laid that out. I want to know what your theory is. What's going on here? Why is this the way it is? And what is the cause, if there is a cause, for optimism? Well, I could just speak from our experiences in Texas. Um, as, as you know, we've gone everywhere yep. repeatedly, yep. listened to, to everyone, never distinguished by um, what party you belong to, don't care who you pray to or if you pray at all, who, who you love, how many generations you've been in this country, whether yep. you just got here yesterday. What, what matters is that we're all here now. We're in the same boat. And before we think of each other as Republicans or Democrats or independents, we're Americans, we're Texans, we're human beings. I'm going to start treating each other that way. And that, that energy that, that's come from understanding our common cause in this. And the fact that people are energized around not who they dislike, um, not the other party that they want to defeat, but the great things they know that we can accomplish if we just yep. put our minds to it. 
Um, that's, that's what's animating this campaign. And, and if I'm honest about it, I, I recognize it's not about the candidate. It's certainly not about the party. It's, it's about Texas right now. And Amy and I are lucky enough that we get to be yep. a part of this and, and play whatever role uh, we've, we've been allowed to play. And, and for me, that's been showing up for, for everyone, every day, everywhere. And I, I think that's the way campaigns used to be run. Um, right. Before, you know, the consultants and the pollsters and the technology and everything that interferes between two human beings who want to talk about the future of their community or their state or their country. And those are the conversations we've had every single day for the better part now of more than a, than a year and a half. And so if, if I had to give a reason, I think that's it. It's the people of Texas coming together, right. standing up to be counted at this moment of truth for our country. And let, it's, it's let, an exciting let, thing to be a part of. Let me get right at the question of what has to happen between now and the election. You know, the math is the math. Politics ultimately is a math problem in a lot of cases, in a lot of places, and no more is it the case than in Texas for Democrats. It has been a math problem for so long. You and I have had this opportunity to talk before. We have a disagreement about what the problem is. I say Texas is a red state. You say Texas is a non-voting state. I say you're proving my point. I will stipulate that there are enough Democrats to elect a Democrat but not enough Democrats vote. So by virtue of it being a non-voting state, it's a red state. Many have come before you to try to change that calculation. Why are you the one to do it when so many people have tried and failed? I don't know that I'm the one, um, but I think this is the year and, and we are the people. Um, and I think because of the dynamic that you described and the assumptions that many of us have made, um, whole people have been written off or taken for granted. And I've told the story about going to Abilene, Texas. And the first time we go to Abilene, maybe 25, 30 people show up. Um, the fourth time that we go to Abilene, a, a place so reliably red that you can see it glowing from outer space as you orbit the, <laughs> the Earth. There are nearly 800 people who come out to the Paramount Theater in the middle of a workday to take part in the future of this country. Many Republicans among them, Democrats, independents. Um, it's true almost everywhere I go because um, that place is thought to be so Republican that Democrats fear to tread and they don't go there. And Republicans knowing that they don't have a real contender in the November election really don't have to show up either. And so those folks have no one right. uh, whom they can hold accountable. It's something that you just talked about a second ago. Um, no one with whom they can share their aspirations, their dreams. No one who they can share their concerns with. Uh, and, and so effectively, these folks at a, at a statewide level have gone unrepresented, unlistened to, unheard, unfought for, unserved. And the same holds true when we go to the border. We were just in Laredo and Del Rio and Eagle Pass, and we went down to Edinburgh and Brownsville. So, so reliably blue, we are told, um, that those November elections really aren't meaningfully contested between the two parties. And it's so hard to get to that why bother to, to show up? It's already spoken for. Um, but when we show up, not once, not twice, not five times, but 10, 12, 15 times yep. in some of these places, people begin to understand that we're, we're in this together. And when we do not discriminate based on, on any difference, I want, if you're a Republican, we say you're in the right place. If you're a Democrat, we want you here. Independents, welcome. Non-voters, 
who may not have the immigration status that allows them to vote, who may still be um, serving out a parole that prevents them from participating in their democracy. Your voice, your opinion, your concerns, your questions are just as important, and we want to hear them. This is a campaign powered by people, not a dime of PAC money, no special interest served in, in this campaign. It's, it's the people of Texas who are deciding the future of this state, and I would argue by extension, uh, this country, and for this generation, and for every generation that right. follows. Are, are there enough uh, vo voters? <laughs> just, just to press on this a little bit more, we know from the recent NBC News Wall Street Journal poll that two of the three groups with the lowest level of interest in the midterms, not just any midterm, but in this midterm, are Latinos and young people. Clearly, that's part of the, that is clearly part of the 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 math for you is to turn out more voters of color, to turn out more young people. I, I just want you to say, beyond inspiration, right. what it is as a practical matter that you think will cause folks who have traditionally not turned out to vote to vote. Unlikely voters are unlikely voters for a reason. Yeah. They've got a record of being unwilling to show up, especially in midterms. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, part of what we have done is, is to show up, for example, young people. And right. the, the consultants, and, and you know this, they'll say, you've got limited time, limited money, don't waste those on young people. Traditionally, they don't vote. They don't show up at the polls. And so spend that time on the likely voter who's already shown that they voted in four out of the last four elections, who will tend to be yeah. a little bit older. Our contention is that if no one's ever shown up and listened to you, and incorporated your story into why they're campaigning and the expectations yep. that we're setting for one another, then I wouldn't expect you to vote either. And so we've been showing up last week at Prairie View A&M and had just an amazing town hall, some of the toughest questions, yep. um, and no disrespect, but, but tougher than almost any that I've been asked by any journalist um, from those students at, at Prairie View A&M. Um, UT Austin, in fact, I answered questions from students in, in your yep. class. Uh, here, Texas Southern University. Um, we, we met at a community college in, in, in Waco, Waco right. and, yep. and answered questions from folks there. Going to high schools, Roscoe High School, meeting students who, again, uh, have the most acutely tuned BS meter and aren't going to allow you to dance around and answer. They, they want a, a yes or no. They want you to explain yourself, have the courage of your convictions. So that level so of we've been showing up. the retail politics with young Absolutely. people, that's all living up. You, you talked about money. You mentioned you're not taking a dime of PAC money. You have been an extraordinary fundraiser. In fact, you've raised more money than any Democratic candidate for Senate in the entire country this election cycle. To this point. Yeah. As a practical matter, as a practical matter, what does having that much money mean for your ability to reach these folks? Texas, very expensive state to campaign in. Right. A week of media in Texas could be a million dollars or more statewide. What does having that money do for you, given the challenges that you face, and how do you intend to deploy those resources in the next 38 days? So, as we were saying earlier, this campaign is all about people. It is powered by people in, in every single part of the state. And so the best use of resources, in my opinion, and we're, we're trying to prove it in this campaign, yep. is, is to spend that on people. If you want to start a, a pop-up campaign office in Longview, Texas, one of these places that's really never been contested, right. or Texarkana, or Lufkin, or Nacogdoches, Amarillo, Texas, we're going to support your ability to do that. We're going to provide the right. resources 
so that you can organize volunteers in that community. You can knock on those doors in this very divided moment where the country's never been more polarized, where we've never had more digital devices in front of our face, to take the time out of our lives and knock on someone's door and have this unguarded, sometimes uncomfortable, but incredibly important conversation about the future of this country. I think that's more powerful than any Facebook ad, any spot on TV, anything you might hear on the radio on your drive home from work. But to support those people, that costs some money. So when someone makes a contribution to our campaign, and the average has been $33, uh, that was made 215,714 times just in the last three-month period, that money largely goes in to people and supporting their ability to connect with their neighbors, their friends, their classmates, their colleagues, their family. This, this is the defining election of our lives. I'm, I'm convinced of it. People get that. We're just going to make sure they have the resources to share yeah. that with those in their lives and those in their community. So in the second quarter, you outraised Senator Cruz. You've actually outraised him a bunch. Uh, consistently and <clears throat> consecutively, you've outraised him. You raised $10.4 in the second quarter. Last day of the third quarter is tomorrow. How much are you going to raise? It'll be a lot. I believe it'll, you. It'll, it'll, you know, tonight... It'll be a lot. Tonight, um, uh, Senator Cruz was in Washington, Texas at a rally, and he said he basically put out a deal. He said, I expect that Congressman O'Rourke is going to raise $30 million in Q3. Did you raise $30 million in Q3? I, I honestly don't know. Oh, come I, I on. honestly don't know, but it's, 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 it's a lot. And, and, um, Do you raise uh, more than you raised in Q2? Let's start there. Yeah. Did, you raise tw did you raise more than 20? Well, I, you know, you'll, 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 you'll find out. You'll do, find I, out. do I need to get some of those high school students from Roscoe here to ask yeah, you? Yeah, maybe, maybe. But it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. And, yeah. and it's, all, it's all from people. And, you know, it, it's a real test in, in this time that um, the Supreme Court, at least, has decided that corporations are people and that money is speech and that corporations can spend unlimited amounts of money affecting and ultimately purchasing the outcomes of election, influencing and ultimately purchasing the outcomes of legislation that will affect our lives. Can you run a campaign without corporate help, without super PACs and political yep. action committees? The people of Texas are about to prove that. And so not only is this important for winning on the 6th of November, I think it's also critical to getting our democracy back and yep. making sure that it once again responds to people, not corporations, right. people, okay. not special interests, yeah. not PACs or super PACs. Congressman, um, Congressman, you're, you're a Democrat, and I wonder if you can tell me whether you think being a Democrat, not just in Texas, but generally, at the moment, is a good thing. Is the fact that you're a Democrat an association that you proudly embrace? Is it something that you talk about openly and want to talk about openly? Or is it something, at a place like Texas, you feel like you need to transcend? The other campaign has, since the very day you announced, been seeking to tie you, not just you, but you in particular, to Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. They want to make people in Texas think that if you vote for Beto O'Rourke, you're voting for the National Democratic Party. Yeah. Is that something you feel like you need to run from, or are you willing to run toward it? I'll tell you, when I, when I think about the Democratic Party, I think about people like Bobby Kennedy, who went to the places that no one visited, yeah. who talked to people whose voices were not represented in the national conversation, who were not receiving any of the wealth that this country was producing, who were shunted aside and forgotten and, and left behind. 
When I think of the Democratic Party, I think of a gentleman in Silverton, Texas. We were talking about the fact that half of rural Texas today, in the year 2018, in the wealthiest, the most powerful country, does not have access to reliable broadband internet and how we need to invest in those yep. communities. And, yep. and this guy stands up and he says, I, I'm old enough to have been in the first grade in 1937 when Lyndon Baines Johnson, then a member of Congress, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the president, through the Rural Electrification Administration, extended electricity to our small town. They made sure that I, before the first day of first grade, could read by electric light, just like the kids in the big cities in Austin, in Dallas, in New York, in Tokyo, in London, uh, were just as valuable, just as competitive. And he said, you can believe that from that day forward, my daddy was a yellow dog Democrat. Democrats used to go everywhere, stand up for everyone. Um, the, the little guy, the little gal, the, the farmer, the rancher, the small business owner, making sure that they could level the playing field and that they could compete and their kids would have just as equal a shot at success in life. Democrats were the ones under the guidance of a great Texan, Lyndon Baines Johnson, who ensured that we passed the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act in the 1960s because in large part they were forced to by people who applied the pressure to ensure that everyone, everyone was represented in, in our democracy. Those, those are the best traditions of the Democratic Party. And I see those traditions here in Texas. But I've got to tell you that if we define ourselves only by party, uh, not only is that not a winner in our politics going forward, I think that's a loser for bringing this country together right. around the most important issues. The, the approval rating for Congress, whether it's 9% or 17%, or reflects our frustration with its dysfunction and the fact that we're not listening to one another anymore, that compromise has become yeah. a, a dirty word, and that we, we can't find enough common ground to get the job done. And so that's why I, I welcome everyone from any political persuasion or no political persuasion at all. And I'll tell you, the young people that we're meeting very rarely identify themselves by party. They see that as a vestige of the 20th century. Uh, it's not something that's important in their lives. They just want to know where you are and the things that they care about. They want to know that they have a voice in this democracy. And I think this campaign has shown that they do. You know, you say that, and I, I take you at your word, but you are a Democrat. You don't want to only run in the direction of one party or wear the, uni the, the uniform of only one team. I get that. You want to make your campaign available to everybody, but you are a Democrat. And so I need to ask you about the Democratic Party and where you place yourself along the continuum at a moment when the Democratic Party, much like the Republican Party, is sort of at war with itself. In this primary season, we've had a lot of progressive young challengers to establishment Democrats. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in New York, Ayanna Presley in Boston, defeating veteran members, establishment, so-called establishment Democrats. Right. This test of your progressivism has become a, a, a point of discussion in every race around the country. Do you identify with that wing of the party? I remember when you were running the first time. You were the outsider. You were the progressive running against the establishment Democrat, Sylvester Reyes. You were one of the last U.S. House members to endorse Hillary Clinton for president, I recall, in 20. 16. You were not all about the establishment during that presidential race. You kind of kept your cards close to your vest. Where are you in this defining debate within your party, the progressive wing, the establishment wing, somewhere in between? Place yourself on the spectrum. <laughs> Come on. 
I, you know, I, I, place, I, I place myself in, in Texas. I, I really, um, I, I could really, you know, all, all these other good, people good running, running in all these other places, I mean, you know, hopefully they're sensitive to um, the needs, the aspirations of those whom they want to represent, and that's reflected in their campaigns. The things that you hear me talking about on the trail are reflections of what people have shared with me that they want to see us do. It's, it's our, our expectations that we've set by and for one another. I mean, and, and tell me where this is on the spectrum. Uh, more than 40% of school teachers in the state of Texas work a second or third job just to make ends meet. Now, is it a Democratic or Republican value to say that we should pay them a living wage and they should be able to focus on that child in front of them, teach to them, not a standardized test? I don't know. Um, we were in um, Henrietta, Texas, in, in two conversations with the same family. Right. The, the father who says, listen, I don't like Obamacare. Premiums going through the roof. We've got to do something better. But do not repeal this unless you have something better because there are far too many people in this community who before the Affordable Care Act had no insurance whatsoever. And before I can agree with him, um, his wife, uh, also a Republican, public school teacher says, you know, you let Betsy DeVos take my hard-earned tax dollars out of my classroom, turn them into a voucher, send them to a private school, mark my words, Beto O'Rourke, I will hunt you down. I will find you and I will, I will get you. Now, now there, there are Republicans talking about an issue that, that I care about as well. And I, and I think there's enough common ground there for us to make progress, protecting funding for public schools, paying our teachers uh, a living wage, making sure that we improve upon the progress that we made with the Affordable Care Act, maybe in their community introducing Medicare as an option on the public exchanges to drive down the cost of premiums, improve selection, expand Medicaid. This state left $100 billion on the table um, that could have provided health care for millions of our fellow Texans. Um, th these are common sense solutions. They, they, they don't reside on a political spectrum. He's thought about the spectrum. So let's, so let's do a couple, let's do issues. Let's talk about a couple of these things. Let's see where you come down. Yes or no? Are you willing uh, to embrace Medicare for all? Yes. Yes. Are you willing... I, let me say this. So, so yes, I answered your question. Yes. I, I think there are a number of ways to, to get to guaranteed high quality universal health care. There, there is another path where those who have employer-based insurance yep. are able to stay on that, and then those who are unable to afford insurance can buy into Medicare or buy into Medicaid. That's, that's another path that we right. can take. Wh whatever the solution is, ultimately, it's going to inherently involve some level of compromise and then consensus, and, and then we, we move forward. And Texas, least insured in the United States. Correct. Number one provider of mental health care services in this state is the Harris County Jail. Jail right. Um, you have schizophrenia, you have bipolar disorder, yeah. you're uninsured. It's not uncommon that you get arrested on purpose because the one place you are guaranteed to get the care, to be prescribed the psychotropic medications, is in a county jail at a cost of $400 a night. Outpatient mental health care, $14.50, and you're free to finish your education, work that job, pay your taxes, shoulder your fair share of the burden, start a punk rock band, tour the country with your friends. <laughs> Whatever you want to do in life, right. I want to make sure that you're well enough to do that. And, and this state who understands the consequences of failing one another better than any other should be the state that takes the lead nationally in ensuring every single one of us is well enough to live to our full potential. That's, that's, that should be the goal. So, 
In, in this election season, it is said that whether you endorse Medicare for all is a test of your progressivism. Another test of late has been, and Senator Cruz called you out during the debate on this issue, whether you're willing to entertain abolishing Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, ICE. Are you willing to abolish or consider abolishing ICE? No, I, I don't think that's the path forward. I think we need to abolish the practices um, that abhor all of us. Yeah. Taking a child from her parents after they've traveled 2,000 miles, much of that on foot, some of that atop a train known as La Bestia or the Beast, fleeing the deadliest, the most brutal, the most violent countries in the Americas, maybe in the world, to come to this country of immigrants and refugees and asylum seekers and to find not the safety or the security that you sought, but your, your worst nightmare. That child literally, if necessary, forcibly taken from you, maybe even torn from your breast. Now, ICE did not do that. This president, one person with a zero tolerance policy, forced women and men in the Border Patrol to do that, who turned the parents over to the Department of Justice, not ICE, so those parents could be prosecuted like common criminals, deported back to the very countries from which they fled, turned the children ultimately over to the care of Health and Human Services Office of Refugee Resettlement, not ICE, where today hundreds are in foster care homes or in a tent encampment outside of El Paso in Tornillo, Texas, still months later not knowing when or if they're ever going to see those parents who risked everything, including their lives, for them again. Abolishing a single department is not going to make this right. If you add to that the fact that we lose hundreds of people, human beings, trying to cross into this country as we built more walls and more fences, further militarized our communities, pushed them to the most desperate places and ends, to the point that they lose their very lives trying to be here. That's not one department or one policy. It's right. this country being led by Texas, the defining border state and immigrant experience on the issues that we know better than anyone else, rewriting our immigration laws in our own image to reflect who we are, our experiences, our values, our interests. And again, this is not Democrats talking about doing it or Republicans who have a solution. It's we, the people of Texas, who are going to lead this country on an issue that we know better than anyone else. And so it's not going to come through abolishing departments. It's right. going to come through leadership. As a as, as, as you well know, coming from a border community, as you do, Texas has more contiguous miles with the Mexican border than any other state. There's no question that this is, as much as it is in any state, first and foremost, a, a Texas issue. When Republicans, supporters of Senator Cruz, Senator Cruz himself, hear you talking like that, what they say is, well, he's for open borders. He wants to throw, to bo throw the borders open to anybody who want, want to come in this country. If you're not for open borders, what level of border security, border protection, are you willing to say you're for? As with almost any attack made against us by the junior senator, he's, he's, taken, he's taken a position that we hold. Um, has you, decided you started to call him the junior senator a lot, by the way. For, for having the courage of our convictions, um, t takes an idea that, that makes a lot of common sense that a lot of people from all walks of life uh, agree with to its, its almost illogical extreme conclusion. So to say that, that Amy and Beto O'Rourke, who are raising Ulysses and Molly and Henry in El Paso, the largest binational community in the Western Hemisphere, three million 
who come together from Mexico and the U.S. speaking two languages, joined, not separated by the Rio Grande River, creating something far greater than the sum of the people or the parts involved, that we somehow do not care about the security of our community, of our kids, is preposterous. And I'll give you an example of how we work together and not as Democrats. I worked with John Cornyn, the senior U.S. Senator from the state of Texas, who <laughs> happens to be a Republican. He did it again. And yeah. knowing that the vast majority of everyone and everything that ever comes into this country from Mexico crosses through a port of entry in McAllen or Brownsville or Del Rio or El Paso, we decided to invest in those ports of entry, in the infrastructure, the technology, the people, those customs officers who facilitate trade and travel and perform the inspections so that we know who and what is coming into this country. That will demonstrably make us safer it also grows trade, grows economic development and jobs and the high value, high skilled professions that come along with it. There's a bipartisan solution to legitimate security concerns that we've been able to lead on. So um, that, that's my offer to you. From our perspective in, in El Paso, Texas, which by the way, may very well be one of, if not the safest cities in the United States of America tonight because of outstanding law enforcement, police officers, sheriff's deputies, border patrol agents, but also not in spite of, but because we are a city of immigrants. A quarter of those that I represent in DC, born somewhere else, chose us, left their family, their comfort, their home, their language, their customs, sometimes their culture, to become strangers in a strange land, to do better for themselves and their kids, but yes, also to do better for this country that they were called to and inspired by. If that's a problem, those are the kind of problems I want this country to have. Let's make the most out of them. To, um, to, to, your, to your point about the, the fact that your critics, Senator Cruz and others, have taken positions and gone attempted really to caricature your position all the way at the extreme. Right. The topic of drugs and what we should do about drug policy in this country surely is one of those talking points. I remember when you were a council member in El Paso and you uh, addressed this issue, you suggested that we ought to have a conversation about drug policy. The Republicans are campaigning against you like you're El Chapo. <laughs> right? Right. So you, know, if, you know, Chapo Chaparito means short, right? I, I just work here. I'm sorry. Um, so if you're not El Chapo, what are you or who are you as it relates to this issue? Because, because they're telling people this guy wants to basically legalize everything. And I don't remember that being your fentanyl, position back in El, in El Paso. So what is your position on yeah. this issue? Yeah. Th th those, those are literally the things that the senator has said that we want, we want to legalize. I mean, no joke. Um, that, that's what he's, you know, th th this is another test. We, we talked about the test between PACs and people, corporations yeah. and people, special interests and people. It's also, is, is fear going to win out? Fear that would cause you to build a wall at a time of record low north level, uh, northbound apprehensions on the U.S.-Mexico border. Fear that would cause you to ban all people of one religion from the shores of a country comprised of people the world over. Fear that would allow you to accept a president who describes the press as the enemy of the people instead of the best defense against tyranny. Or will we be defined by our ambitions and our aspirations? So this cynical campaign that he's waging to try to scare you about this guy who's talking
talking about a war on drugs that has effectively become a war on people, a war on some people more than other people, a country who has the largest prison population on the face of the planet today per capita, a prison population that looks nothing like the composition of this country is disproportionately comprised of people of color, one-third doing time for nonviolent drug crimes. And though we know people of every race and background and walk of life use drugs, deal drugs at the same rate, only some people will be stopped more than others. Only some people will be arrested more than others. Only some people will be doing more time than others. And upon release, only some people will have to check a box on an employment application form that prevents them from getting that job. Only some people will no longer qualify for a Pell Grant that would allow them to attend the University of Texas at Austin and better themselves, that they can do better for themselves, their family, their community, their lives. This war on drugs, has not achieved any of its aims. It hasn't kept the money and the proceeds and the profits away from the kingpins and the criminals and the cartels. Marijuana is today more available, not less than when we started this war on drugs, only it's being sold in middle schools now, not just college campuses and high schools. More than half the states in this union have decided to decriminalize, medicinalize, or outright legalize marijuana. Who's the last veteran in Texas? who doesn't want to be prescribed opioids to which she may become addicted and succumb, who's the last senior citizen with fibromyalgia who wants to be able to use cannabis but will be an outlaw in this state if he does, who's the last African-American man to be doing time behind bars for something that people are getting wealthy selling legally in other states right. in the union. So we need to end the war on drugs, we need to end the prohibition on marijuana, and I would argue we need to expunge the arrest records for those who've been arrested for possession of a substance that's legal in most of this country right now. Um, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about the, the war on drugs. The, uh, what, what I heard you say is marijuana, yes, but are you willing to go beyond that? Because as you say, the Cruz campaign has a long list. No of drugs that they think you here's how we go, here's legalize how we, or decriminalize. Here's how we go beyond this, or, yeah. or here's one idea. Yeah. 70,000 people died last year from drug overdoses. There is an opioid crisis raging across much of this state and certainly much of, uh, of this country. Those who first foisted this epidemic upon us, uh, big pharmaceutical companies like Purdue, who knew that this was addictive and yet sold this to prescribers and pharmacists as something that was not addictive. Their culpability in this has never produced the accountability and the justice that we deserve as a country. Low-level street dealers doing years at a shot behind bars, and yet the bigwigs, the, the corporate executives, the shareholders have paid no real price or penalty for the tens of thousands of deaths that they are in part responsible for now. So, so real justice and accountability is part of it. Treating these addictions as a public health crisis and not a criminal justice matter is another way to look at this. Right. Making sure that people get the treatment and the care that they need. Um, there was a veteran at one of our town halls in El Paso came forward and said, I have been prescribed opioids by the VA for years, and in the VA's ham-handed way, not the local VA, but up in D.C., they decided we're going to get a handle on this opioid crisis, and he said they cut off my prescription. Now, without anything to replace that, he's buying heroin on the street right now. Do you want to lock up that veteran 
who put his life on the line for this country, who through no fault of his own became addicted to something that he can no longer control? Or do you want to get him the help that he desperately needs? I know that all of us, regardless of party affiliation, want to do the right thing by that man who did right by us in the first place. So those are some common sense, humane, rational, sensible policies that I think Texas can lead on. Let me ask you about the economy. You know, the the president has, has talked about the health of the economy incessantly in speeches and on Twitter and has said basically, if you don't return control of Congress after the election to Republicans, Democrats will undo all this economic gain and benefit. He cites statistics about growth, about jobs. He talks about the, he talks about the stock market. Do you think there's economic good news that we should be celebrating? Do you think the economy is an issue that Democrats can campaign on at a time when a Republican president and a Republican Congress can point to those data points and say, look what we've done for you, don't change horses? We've seen sustained economic growth since 2009. Right. And certainly, President Obama had a lot to do with that. Members of Congress of yeah. both parties did as well. Yeah. Um, we've seen economic growth continue uh, into the Trump administration, and, and there's credit aplenty to go around. What we have not seen is real, any real appreciation in people's wages, in their incomes, in household wealth. In fact, per ca- or, or median household wealth in this country is lower than what it was 20 years ago. So as corporations sit on record piles of cash, as the wealthiest in this country get even wealthier, as we sit on $21 trillion of debt, we're going to add one more trillion in deficit spending just this year. The people of the future, reading their history books about 2017 and 2018, will not be able to believe what our response was. A $2 trillion tax cut that will send disproportionately the benefits to the very already wealthiest in this country and to those corporations who do not need any more resources. What we really need to be doing right now is to invest in people, in their educations. I talked about getting behind those world-class public school educators to make sure that they can focus on those kids. We need to make sure that education begins not in kindergarten for every child, where some on the first day at five years old are 12 months behind in reading, 10 months behind in math. But let's follow Julian Castro and San Antonio's lead and have universal pre-K for every single child in this country. Let's make sure that cost is not an object to continuing that education after the 12th grade and that you're able to go on to a community college, a four-year university, enter an apprenticeship, get that certification or training or set of skills that allows you to command a job that pays a living wage and that provides the fulfillment and the function in your life that's missing from the lives of far too many of our fellow Americans and fellow Texans right now. Those are investments. That will cost real money, but investments worth making. Let me tell you one story. Waco, Texas, Aliza, mother of three, supporting her mother who's been in and out of the criminal justice system and her brother who is too disabled to work. She tells us that she just rejected the promotion that she had been offered at work. 
because that promotion comes with a pay increase. That pay increase will price her out of being able to qualify for the children's health insurance program for her kids, but in a state that refused to expand Medicaid, an investment that we failed to make, she will not earn enough to be able to afford private insurance. So she's not taking that promotion. She's not moving up the economic ladder. Her wages will not increase, and she's pegged there for life unless we change direction. People and communities versus special interests and corporations. That's the choice that we have before us right now. If we invest in people and communities, I guarantee you this, this economy will roar and it will roar for everyone. You mentioned, the tax, you mentioned the tax cuts. You mentioned the tax cuts that passed Congress the last time. President says you put Democrats back in office. First thing they're gonna do, well, the first thing that they're gonna do is impeach me, he says. But the second thing, the second thing that they're gonna do is they're gonna roll back those tax cuts. You say, hell yes, we're going to roll back the tax cuts. To generate the revenues, to invest in people, and to make sure that we're not continuing to spend into ever greater debt, we're going to have to make sure that everyone's paying their fair share. Now, the corporate tax rate just went from 35% to 21%. Doesn't have to go all the way back up to where it was, but I do think it needs to be higher than where it is right now. The billions of dollars, the hundreds of billions of dollars that we generate can be invested in people. Over 10 years, it'll cost this country $76 billion to invest in universal pre-K. For every $1 that we put into those kids at four years old, we get $9 back to the U.S. economy over their lifetime. Put in 76, get $650 billion back. Pay to ensure that everyone who graduates from high school can get that associate's degree or pursue a four-year degree. Make sure that everyone whose job has been automated out of existence at the age of 45 or 52 or who has been let go or who is re-entering the workforce after raising their kids, yes, that's an investment in those people. But I, but I if asked we you make about it, the tax cuts, though. I didn't ask you about your list of things you'd spend so, so money So what, what I just told you is, yes, yeah. I'm going to move that. So, ra- so I'm going to yes, vote to move that rate back up so that we can invest in people and in communities. That, that's absolutely fine. Yeah. All right. Let me... Um, the president's name has come up a couple times. I was taken with the phrase that you uttered a couple times in the debate last week against Senator Cruz. I hope I have this exactly right. I may be paraphrasing. With regard to President Trump, you said, we should work with him when we can, but oppose him when we must. There are an awful lot of Democrats in Texas and elsewhere who don't want you to work with the president at all. They're pissed, and they don't want to work with the president. Is working with the president even a little bit something that your party or your voters actually want you to do? Absolutely. Um, I, I don't care how blue a Democrat you are, um, how, uh, how, how much of a Republican you might be. You, you, you want us to work together and, and get the job done. The people of El Paso, uh, you, you may be familiar with this, we were trying to preserve 7,000 acres of pristine Chihuahuan desert wilderness that has recorded human history in the past of the North for the last 10,000 years. Yep. Uh, cave art and, and rock art that um, demonstrates what, what people first uh, thought of a place that we now call home, should be part of the American story and our record to pass on to generations to come. We were able to work with Republican colleagues on the Armed Services Committee, Democrats as well, to pass protections that will preserve Castor Range in perpetuity for generations to come. And we got that signed into law by President Trump on, on a, in a far more um, personal and serious issue for a lot of people. Um, veterans who have an other than honorable discharge 
are taking their lives at twice the rate of the general veterans population, a population from whom we lose 20 veterans a day every yes. single day by their own hand. When it comes to helping those veterans, we're going to work with anyone, anytime, anywhere. Found a Republican colleague with whom we could pass a bill in the House, got it passed in the Senate, got it on to the desk of President Donald J. Trump for his signature. Um, those veterans in my community would not stand for me playing politics with their lives. They would not take as an excuse. Listen, right. look, um, as soon as we get a new president or as soon as we change the majority in Congress, then we'll be able to deliver on your priorities. M my job is to deliver for everyone right now. So I'm going to work with this president if it means whenever I can. With him, Absolutely. You'll, you'll do it. But when it comes right. to the trade wars he's right. entered us in, right. the tariffs he's imposed, right. his, his complicity in, in what's going on with the, the 2016 um, uh, invasion of our election. Uh, by the Russian government. His, his willingness to defend Vladimir Putin on that stage in Helsinki instead of the American people right. whose integrity of their elections was violated in, in that year, that's a serious matter. And, and the best possible way to resolve the outstanding questions and concerns that we have it, about it is to ensure the absolute independence and integrity of the Bob Mueller investigation. Follow those facts as far as they go, as high up as they lead, and let's ensure that there's accountability and justice for everyone and determine whether or not we are a nation of laws or whether there's some people, because of the office that they hold, the position of public trust and power that they've assumed, who are above the law. I still think 242 years in, we are a nation of laws. This is our year to prove it. Right. With, re with regard... Um With regard to the anger of Democrats and what some Democrats may want you to do over the course of this campaign, the ads that you've put on television to this point that I've seen, I believe are largely positive. Too positive or? Well, I'm not saying they're too positive, <laughs> but you know whose name doesn't appear in your ads as far as I know, Ted Cruz. Yeah. You're not running negative ads against Ted Cruz up to this point. He sure as hell is running negative ads against you. Is that yeah. gonna change? I, mean, I watched you on the debate stage last week and you were aggressive at moments during that debate, but by and large, you did not punch him in the nose. He was only too happy to attempt repeatedly to punch you in the nose. Are you gonna get smash mouth between now and the election? Yeah. Or is it gonna be more, I don't mean this as a pejorative, but gauzy, biographical, positive ads, as opposed to tough, politics ain't beanbag, negative ads? Yeah. Listen, we, we are just trying to run um, a campaign that is true to who we are, true to the people of Texas, yeah. um, as honest and, and transparent and, and as open as we can possibly be. And you've known me for a while. You, you know that that's, that's not me. That's just not who I am. And, and you'll smell that a mile away if, if I try to change my spots, if, if I try to be somebody that I'm not. And I've always said, look, and, and Amy agrees with me, we're sick of this shit. The, 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 the you know, the... It, there it is. It, it took you 53 minutes to curse. Yeah. Uh, but but we, we really are, right? Like, so, so the, the dark music, the, the messed up picture of your opponent, the, you know, if, if this guy is elected, um, your face is going to melt and, and the world's going to end. You're not going to do it's it. It's going to be the worst thing ever. And yeah. do, do you want to be scared into voting for somebody? Do you want to be scared into voting uh, against somebody? I, I, I trust your judgment. Right. Uh, and and I, I trust the, the people of Texas. And, and what you've asked me to do is not run against somebody else or run against another political party. You've asked me to join you in running for the future, running right. for this country, our, our aspirations, our ambitions, right. the things we're going to do together. Right. Right. That's, that's what's exciting to me. It, it, interestingly, 
I actually don't know that the Cruz campaign has made you scary. What they've done is turned you into a reckless teenager. Yeah. Right? I mean, this is the thing that I couldn't... I, I, they, they think that the public will buy an image of you as a skateboarding, cross-dressing punk rocker. Right? I, it's like the Footloose campaign. Right. Right? I, was there cross-dressing in Footloose? Well, there may have been cross-dressing in Footloose. I oh. don't recall, actually. I never saw it. Um, but I, I looked up the ages of the candidates in this race. You just turned 46 this week. I did. You did. Senator Cruz turns 48 in December. You are two years apart. In this campaign, he seems 80 and you seem 20. <laughs> This whole generational thing in this campaign is a real issue, and you actually have embraced, for good or for ill, we'll see, youth culture. You have embraced youth culture as part of this campaign. I sat there at the end of that debate when you said that Ted Cruz was working for the clampdown, and I thought to myself, did he just drop a class reference in the middle of this debate? Did you walk in intent? You said, I gotta get a class reference in this debate. I got, let me see, Texas, you can stand by me, ooh-wee. No, that's not going to work. Did you, did you come in with like a list of class references that you were going to work into this thing? No, no. But um, I'll tell you, London Calling is, is my, my favorite there he record. Goes. There he goes. Uh, I'll there tell you, you know what? Um, so there he goes. Th th you, you mentioned the, the punk rock band that we toured with, uh, Mike and Arlo, who with whom uh, I, I played in that band along with Cedric. Uh, this was Foss. Th this was this was Foss. I remember Arlo um, trading me um, London Calling in in the eighth grade, Arlo, uh, for a Monty Python album um, that, that I, I think that was I think that was a switcher. You may have also given me the Monty Python album. But but those 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 songs are hardwired in me and and. So so, so you, you say I'm embracing youth culture. I mean, some part of me never outgrew The Clash or, or punk rock or jumping on a skateboard in a parking lot or, you know, and eating there, water and there's, burner And there's for, nothing for about that that necessarily sets up as bad from a campaign standpoint. That's just who you are. That, that, that gets yeah, back to authenticity, yeah, right. A yeah. um, couple things. We're going to go in four minutes, I promise, to our, our questions. Um, two things came up in the debate that I wanted to clarify. Yeah. One was the DWI. You said, asked directly by the moderators, whether you had uh, fled from the accident. You said, I did not flee. The police report says, according to reporting, that you did. The Washington Post thought enough of that discrepancy to fact check this week and gave you four Pinocchios for saying that you had not fled when the police report said you did. They did not really fact check it. They didn't talk to the officer. They couldn't find him. They didn't talk to the witness. The witness was unnamed. They didn't independently verify. But a lot of people made something of the fact that the Washington Post gave you four Pinocchios for saying in the debate what was counter to the police report. Did you flee or not? Is the police report wrong? Are we to take your word over the police report? I did not flee. The police report on this count is wrong. Um, I, I reached out to the passenger who was in the car that I was driving, who also does not appear in the police report, um, among other factual errors. Um, somebody that I've not spoken to in more than 15 years um, and asked her recollection of that evening. And she said, no, uh, we were in the median of the road. 
Um, we did not try to flee. I don't know if there was anywhere that, that we could have gone uh, on a divided highway with four lanes uh, in either direction in, in a car that, that was damaged. Um, and, you know, as I also shared, um, I think it's, it's, it's really important for me to say that um, what is true about that is that I drove drunk, and that, that is a, a terrible mistake on my part. And there, there is no defending or justifying that. But um, on that one count about the, the um, fleeing the, the scene, that's, that's incorrect. That, that's, that's where you are. The second thing that came up I thought was interesting in the debate last week was your comment. You referenced the town hall at Prairie View A&M University on the 19th of September. That was the town hall at Prairie View was where you made the comment about uh, Jim Crow. Uh, Senator Cruz said uh, you called police the new Jim Crow. Here's your exact quote. I went back and looked at it. That system of suspecting somebody solely based on the color of their skin, searching that person solely based on the color of their skin, stopping that person solely based on the color of their skin, shooting that person solely based on the color of their skin, throwing the book at that person and letting them rot behind bars solely based on the color of their skin. It is why some have called this, and I think it is an apt description, the new Jim Crow. You are not saying, as I, as I read this, you're not saying, Police are the new Jim Crow. You're saying a system that unfairly targets people of color is a form of uh, law enforcement that has echoes of, of Jim Crow. But you know, there are a lot of police groups who are pretty pissed off at you. A whole bunch of police groups came out this week following the, the debate and said that they took it to be an attack on them. Now you called out the law enforcement in El Paso including Border Patrol earlier, mm -hmm. you want to take this back in any way? You think this needs to be modified to reflect your true view of this? It's a difficult thing to talk about, and I think that's probably why you don't find people in public office or running for public office talking about it very much. But it's one of those things which, if we don't talk about, is, is not going to change. And it's something that, frankly, has not changed. In some cases, has gotten worse over time. 25% of African-American children in this country have had a parent, a mother or father in the criminal justice system. Only 4% of white children in this country have had a mother or father in the criminal justice system. 25% of African-American children is four times greater than the rate in 1980. So, so this has been getting worse over time and not better. And it's not police, it's, it's this country, it's, it's a system. Um, it's not police who make us 50th in the country in voter turnout, who have congressional districts that are gerrymandered based on race and ethnicity and country of national origin. It's, it's this state, it's our legislature, it's those in positions of power drawing some people out. It's not the police who decided that you can use your identification for your license to carry a firearm to prove who you are at the ballot box but you cannot use your student ID at Paul Quinn College or Texas Southern University or Prairie View or University of Texas at Austin to prove who you are at, at the ballot box. It's not the police who decided that white America today has 10 times the wealth as black America today. There, there are grave disparities in this country that have become institutionalized and are systemic. 
and, and if we are, are fearful of talking about what has caused them and the things that we need to do to change them, then they're going to stay this way or even get worse over time. I, I've shared that my uncle Raymond O'Rourke was a deputy in the El Paso County Sheriff's Department. I know from his life, I know from those police officers and sheriff's deputies and members of law enforcement, they have one of, if not the most important jobs in our communities, one of the toughest jobs, one of the, one of the most thankless jobs. Not only do they keep us safe, very often they may be the only human being who says a kind word to a homeless man or a homeless woman that they encounter who helps to get them to the shelter where they're going to be protected from the storm that's coming they're the ones who uh, intervene in domestic uh, abuse cases in violence between family members and and keep people alive and i want to make sure that we support them that we give them the training that they need to be able to do their job as effectively as possible but i want to make sure that our larger criminal justice System, which may very well start with the members of Congress who write the laws, decide the sentences that people will serve, the kinds of substances for which that we, we will uh, arrest them, the private prison corporations who will drive the policies that we set in Washington, D.C., to the judges that serve the sentences, to the local city councils and commissioners' courts that pass the ordinances, all of us because all of us are the government in a democracy, have a role in making this right. But if we are afraid of having the conversation, I guarantee you it will never get better. So to be clear, I don't lay this at the feet of police officers. I'm grateful for their service, but this is on us, on all of us to make right. And, and I think all of us want to be able to do that. And I hope Texas can lead the way. I'm gonna uh, ask you one quick, let me ask, um, Ask the Tribune's multimedia reporter, Alana Rocha, to come on out. We're going to have audience questions in a second. I got one last quick one for you. You got it. There is fan fiction out in the world that says Beto O'Rourke gets elected to the Senate and he is on a 2020 ticket for president, either in the top or the second slot. We asked you at the Texas Tribune, we asked you last week, would you serve your entire six-year term if elected? And you were absolutely unblinking, unambivalent, I will serve all six years if elected to the Senate. So anybody out in the world who has this fantasy of a Biden Beto ticket or thinks that you're somehow, like Obama, going to get to the Senate and then almost immediately run for president, stop talking about 2020, off the table, Boston. Correct. Um, and... and um, Amy and I, with, with everybody's help, um, ha, are, are, are 38 days away right. from completing one of the most amazing experiences, journeys um, of, of our lifetimes. And, and we are so grateful, we feel so lucky to be a part of something so big um, and, and so powerful and, and so positive. But it has meant that we have spent the better part of the last two years apart from one another and not raising our, our kids together. That, that has fallen almost squarely on, on her shoulders to help Ulysses with his homework, um, to have to, to listen to him learn the saxophone in, in sixth grade, um, to uh, take Molly to, to you know, soccer practice, to, to be there for, for Henry um, yeah. when, when he needs her. We, we, we need to, and, and our kids need us to be a family. 
Uh, I, I asked you to, to put me into this position of public trust, and, and I could not ask you in good conscience if I didn't intend to serve every single day of the next six years trying to make this state and this country better. So you have my commitment tonight. Uh, I will not run for any other office in those six years. It's 100% for Texas. That's it. As your U.S. Senator and for the O'Rourke family, raising those kids with Amy. Okay. Alana, you've got questions from our audience. Let me encourage you to, uh, if you have them, let's say the name of the person who asked it and we'll get Congressman O'Rourke to answer it. Sure, I'll start with a trio that we got uh, regarding the Kavanaugh hearings yesterday. Uh, Jeff and Nat from Buda, Texas, uh, as well as Beth Andre ask, um, if you sat on the Judiciary Committee as the junior senator from Texas, what questions would you have asked Dr. Ford and Judge Kavanaugh? your overall thoughts, and then win or lose as far as uh, Kavanaugh getting the confirmation, how do you think that will impact the midterms? Wow. Um, yeah. So thank you for the question, and, and let me begin by saying um, how struck I was by Dr. Ford's testimony, her courage in, in coming forward at, at great personal peril. She's had to move out of her house for the safety of, of herself and, and her family. She gains nothing at all by doing this, and, and in fact has to publicly relive what is surely one of, if not the most traumatizing events of, of her life. Um, and um, so, so I'm grateful for, for her willingness to do that and to step forward. Um, in terms of, of additional questions um, that, that I would ask her, I, I think her testimony what was so powerful uh, on its own. Um, I, I don't know what more, what more I could ask of Judge Kavanaugh. Um, again, I, I think the, the, the senators, um, again, not, not a partisan issue, but especially the Democratic senators, trying to determine uh, how he could explain inconsistencies in, in his story, uh, things that on their face seem to uh, point in one direction, but which he promises means something else altogether. If I, if I could add to that questioning to, to better um, determine what, what the truth is, um, I would do that. I'm, I'm very interested, as is everyone here, in the results of this FBI investigation that will take place over the course of the next week. And I am hoping, as I, as I think all of you are, that the results will inform the decisions that every single member of the Senate makes on a nomination for life to the highest right. court in the land that will decide the issues for us. Talked about voting rights earlier in a state that ranks number 50, or civil rights in a state that you can be fired for being gay, um, or a woman's right to make her own decisions about her own body in a state that's the epicenter of a maternal mortality crisis. Um, we need to make sure that this is a deliberate, thoughtful, sober process, um, and that all of the information is in before we make that decision. So yeah. thank you for the question. Very good. Alana, next question. Danielle from Austin asks, can you tell us a time uh, that calls to your office changed your mind about something? I'm trying to keep up the calls to Texas senators, but don't feel like it'll help, so needing right. some inspiration. The, the idea that this is a representative democracy, quite frankly, has been challenged in the minds of many people who feel like, first of all, their representatives don't do, maybe not you, but don't do town halls, don't actually want to get calls at their office, right. don't want to get communications from their constituents. People feel like there's this massive disconnect. When has that made a difference? That's a great question yeah. for you. So, so every month, without fail, we hold an open, all comers welcome, no holds barred town hall meeting. Yeah. 
And um, you know, if you're inspired to come to that, it, it's very often because you have a, a burning question you want to ask. You may be really upset or disappointed in me and you want to let me know about it. Uh, you may have an idea that you want to suggest and see if, if we can run with it. And I go into those meetings with a healthy dose of fear. I'm going to face those who put me <laughs> into this position. Yeah. And I'm going to account for myself. They're going to say, hey, Bethel, why did you vote for this or against that? Where are you on that bill that you said you were working on? We're still waiting on you. Anticipating that um, makes me a, a better representative. I think through that vote because I'm going to have to explain it to you within a month's time. I, I find that Republican colleague with whom we can get this passed because I know you are counting on us. When someone at Riverside High School at one of these town halls stood up and said, listen, my fiance, Mari Cruz from Durango, uh, who I want to marry, uh, who, who I want to raise a family with here in El Paso, because when she was 12 years old and was crossing into El Paso over the El Paso Norte Bridge, her older sister falsely claimed citizenship for her. She now has a lifetime ban on re-entry into the United States. Now this guy, Edgar, who stood up at the meeting said, I'm a lifelong El Pasoan, pay my taxes, contributing to the success of my community. Isn't there a better way? And from his question and the ideas that he brought to that town hall, we wrote something called the American Families United Act. We found Steve Pierce, a very conservative Republican with whom we could introduce the bill. And on this very divisive, contentious issue showed right. the party bosses there's a way to come together. It's not uh, comprehensive immigration reform, but it would allow Marty Cruz to go before a federal judge who could determine whether she poses such a threat to this country that she should never set foot on U.S. soil or whether she's paid her price, done her time, and can now be with her family here. So, so these kind of common sense solutions come out of, of listening to people. And that's just one example. Will, will you commit as United States Senator from Texas to doing a similar deal once a month, town hall meeting, back here with constituents? Absolutely. Okay. Yes, without fail. Um, Every month for before six years. You do that, speaking of, of committing, I didn't mention this earlier, but I did want to ask you this. Speaking of committing to things when you run, you committed to only serve for four terms as a member of the United States House when you ran against Sylvester Reyes the first time. You're now in your third term. So you were going to have one more term after this, provided you ran for election. Would you term limit, self-term limit, as a United States senator, similarly, if you get elected? Absolutely. And, and I'll tell you, I, I think term limits show a faith in the people that you represent. Uh, of a state of 28 million people, surely someone out there is going to do just as good if I'm honest, more likely a better job than I've been able to do. And they're going to bring their unique perspective, their background, their life experience to bear on the opportunities and the problems of this country. And my case in point is getting out of the way as the representative for the 16th Congressional District in El Paso. Veronica Escobar is likely to succeed me. And not only will she be the best member of Congress to have ever served El Paso, she will be the first Hispanic woman in the history of the state of Texas to represent right. a congressional district. That, that's the power of term limits. So I will serve no more than two so terms the number, the number if elected is, and reelected by you. two terms. You would serve yeah. only two terms. Yep. Okay. Alana, another one, please. Couple of questions on gun violence. Christina from Houston writes, we are sending our two-year-old to early preschool, she is doing active shooter drills in school. Yeah, it's wrong. My heart breaks thinking this is the new norm. What, will we, what can we expect from you when you become senator about gun violence in school? You know that there's suspicion about you on, again, the Republican side. They say Beto wants to take our guns. You want to take anybody's guns? No. You have a problem with the Second Amendment? Nope. So what do you do? 
Amy and I remember uh, a similar story from our, our son, Henry, who, seven years old, finishing first grade this last spring, comes home, tells us about uh, participating in an active shooter drill. Although he didn't know that's what you call it, he said his teacher helped he and his fellow students go into a closet and resist the temptation to open that door when somebody impersonating a shooter is banging on it, demanding that those kids open up. Um, I, I also remember uh, being in Brownwood, Texas, at a little town hall outside of the Turtle Restaurant, and a woman stands up and identifies as an independent. And my mom, who, as you know, is a Republican, has taught me that that's the code that she's really a Republican, and she just <laughs> is too polite to say so at the town hall. And she says, I was born with a 22 in my hands on a small ranch just outside of this community. And so I'm, 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 I'm anticipating the question that's going to come my way, but it turns out to be a different one. And she said, I also have a lot of grandkids, and what I want to know is whether I can trust you to stand up to the NRA and stand up for my grandkids. And she can be forgiven for asking that question yep. because the, senior, the junior senator from the state of Texas has accepted nearly half a million dollars from political action committees of the gun lobbies and the NRA. So she could be forgiven for wondering, does he represent me and my grandkids or does he represent them? It may explain why he didn't vote for universal background checks, which gun owners and non-gun owners alike, including members of the NRA, support. We know in those states that have adopted them, we see a near 50% reduction in major gun violence. We're saving lives. It's yeah. common sense, it's practical, and the only <clears throat> thing standing in the way is a given senator's complicity with the gun lobby. When we're free of that and we just make decisions on behalf of people and our fellow human beings, we begin doing the right thing and we begin saving lives. So that's a great place to start from. We, uh, we actually have hit 8.15. I understand you have some business to attend to across the street. Right. Willie's probably still on the bus, you know that, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to talk about what he's doing. Yeah. Um, Alana, thank you very much for asking audience questions. We are going to need to bring this closing session of the Tribune Festival to a close. Please thank, for being here, Congressman Beto O'Rourke. Thank you all. Thank you, thank you all. Thank you. And we will see you next year. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you. That was a conversation with Congressman Beto O'Rourke, Democratic candidate for U.S. Senate in Texas in 2018, recorded live at the Long Center for the Performing Arts in Austin on September 28, 2018, as part of the 2018 Texas Tribune Festival. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Conversations with the Texas Tribune. Visit texastribune.org events for more information about our public interviews. And if you like what you heard on this podcast, please be sure to rate us as awesome on iTunes. Until next time, this is Evan Smith.